Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I assume that most people, even those who would very much be interested in that, would say no, because that's kind of an embarrassing question to admit to. I would to. say yes, mate. Well, <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mitigate my point at all. That is an extremely <laughs> embarrassing thing to be on Colin's side of any issue. It annoys me intensely when you go into, when I go into a client and go, okay, well, you know, what do your customers think? And they say, well, we did this survey, you know, big survey seven years ago. I think there's a presumption that it's it's so much easier to go to your own customer base. And I can see why brands think that because you would have your loyalty data, your email data, and so it'd be fairly easy to contact them and, and understand. So, Ryan, you know, we disagree sometimes. I'm not sure about that, Colin. <laughs> I walked into that one. Didn't you I? really did. <laughs> yes, it's well, terrible. You are wrong so often when we chat. Yeah. Well, to prove I'm not, mate, I've decided to get a lawyer on the show. Really? Okay. And we're not talking about law. We today are going to be talking about the five rules for effective customer research that make a difference, okay? So five rules for effective customer research. But we have a guest on the show to help us talk through this. And one of the fascinating things about Sam Killip, who uh, works for a company called uh, Attest, is that she um, was a lawyer or a solicitor, as we would call them in England, for 14 years before moving into the customer research space. So, So welcome, Sam. Hi, I'm here to maintain order in your conversation. <laughs> well, Sam, Good I don't luck. mean to sway you, but I'm currently wearing a powdered wig. So, okay, <laughs> I've taken that early indication and okay. noted it down. Good. 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 Thanks for coming, Sam. My pleasure. Sam is the Director of Customer Research at a company called Attest. They are a consumer research platform that enables brands to get to understand customers. And as we were talking about five rules of effective customer research, I thought it'd be a great idea to get a professional to give us a a view as well. So the three of us are going to be chatting this through today. Tell us a little bit about a test and and how in the hell did you move from being a lawyer to (laughs) customer research? Okay. Well, first of all, let me just give a brief explanation of a test. So we're an online consumer platform and we can tap into hundreds of thousands of consumers around the globe that really helps brands connect directly with them. So on a practical level, we allow our customers, our brands to draft surveys and send them out to consumers so they can really understand consumers' points of views, what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, to really feed into any business strategies that they have. The other question you asked me was, why did I move yes. from being a solicitor to this? Well, yes. it, it was sort of, wasn't really by design. I had one of those sort of epiphanies, I guess, where I thought, you know, you don't have to do one job for the rest of your life. So sure. after about 14 years, I started to explore what else I could do. And through a bit of a checkered route, I ended up here and I absolutely love it. So I'm really pleased that my career path turned out this way. 
And by ended up here, I assume you mean you just you walked into the wrong office one day and you you just like, well, I guess I'll I'll work here now instead. <laughs> well, I sat down and started doing some stuff, and no one's questioned me, so I've I've been here ever since. <laughs> <laughs> That's pluck. I like that. <laughs> Excellent. Good. So you can see with that background, asking questions uh, is um, <laughs> what don't they say about lawyers? Never ask somebody a question that you don't know already know the answer to. Yeah, this is the complete opposite, though, isn't it? We're yes, it is. It is. Questions that. that we don't know the answers to. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, that's both right. sides of the coin. Yeah. So let's go through five rules for effective customer research that make a difference. So Ryan, uh, Sam and I have got our heads together prior to this and we've come up with a list of five things and we're just gonna shout them out and then talk about them as usual. So the first one is define the right method. Okay, so Sam or Ryan, who, who wants to talk a bit about this one? I will jump in first, uh, if no one else minds. And I like that this is where this list starts. There are all kinds of ways of getting data about customers. And there are all kinds of tools for conducting customer research. What we need to, to acknowledge is there's generally not like one uniformly best method to use for research. All these different research methods have different strengths and weaknesses, and they're, they're better at answering different kinds of questions. So the sub point underneath number one is know what kind of questions you want answered. And then that will lead you to a set of methods that will be best for answering that question. It's, it's very frustrating when I see people who just have a single method that they always use to answer, you know, maybe it's a, a customer feedback survey, and that's what they're going to use for absolutely everything. Those can be great, and they can provide some really amazing insights. But they're not the only way to answer questions and not always the best way. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that research or the concept of market research can be very overwhelming for people who haven't stepped into the world before. And you can hear lots of phrases like max diff, double indexing, segmentation, that it all makes it seem very complicated. I think if you step back, there's sort of various methods that are logical and simple. And as you say, it's just a question of choosing the right one. I always think back to why we're in the situation now where we have to have different methods is if we go back to the turn of the 20th century, and I always imagine the shopkeeper in his shop and research, which is essentially gathering information about your consumers, was really easy for them. They knew what their consumers were buying. They knew if they should stock something else because the consumer would say, oh, I've heard about this. Can you stock this in your shop, etc." And it was really, really easy. But then there was sort of a, an explosion of information. We've got EPOS pills, we've got loyalty schemes, we've got all these things that are giving us a, a mass of information that's sometimes difficult to compute. So I think what we have to do is sort of step back and as Ryan says, say, well, exactly what is it that I want to know? And at what stage in my investigation am I in? And then you can work out, okay, this is the best way to solve the problem that I have. Everyone does seem to go for the correlation tool, though, don't they? I mean, it seems to me as a sort of a bit of a layman in this area that correlation is like the favoured tool of business, isn't it? Well, some of that might be because nearly all statistics are correlational statistics. Right. To, to really get beyond correlation, the, the gold standard for that is you need to run an experiment, which can be slow and costly. And, but the, the point that you, you I think, are, are raising when you, you point this out is 
we all know that kind of rote response of correlation is not causation. And then we all promptly ignore that all the time because we look at correlational data and we immediately want to draw a causal inference from it because we ultimately want to know what causes behavior. The caution that you're pointing to is, is really well founded. We need to be real, real careful about that. There's wonderful correlational data tools available and they can generate a lot of insights, but yes, everything with a grain of salt. And I think you raise an interesting point, Sam, about if you go back to the days when the person working in a shop or they had a few customers, they would understand them much more because that sort of goes into the second area, doesn't it? So the second rule, it is you must get under the skin of the customer. As you were saying that, it was making me think that, yeah, back in the day, people would be able to interpret what the customer was saying and know that there's this customer or this group of customers that say they want this, but actually they end up buying that. (laughs) Or the real reason that they're buying this product is for status rather than the practical reason that they're articulating. With that sort of human intervention, you're able to interpret what the customer is after and therefore the rule number two, getting under their skin. But since you can't do that, the danger is is that you take the answers to the questions literally. Am I making sense here? Yeah, completely. I mean, as I said before, there's such a, a plethora of information out there of what people are doing. That all important question, why are they doing it, is what you really need to get to the bottom of when you're doing research yeah i think sort of a really good example of understanding that and putting it into practice which we all see is car adverts so i mean i I think car fans will probably not like me saying this but in my humble opinion most cars are more or less the same obviously you have the different elements of luxury but at the end of the day if you're looking for a small car there's very little differences between them But what the car industry do is they tap into various sort of almost segmentations or personas of what people want to buy. So some people want an adventure. Some people want safety. Some people want family friendly. Some people want to be James Bond. So it's sort of understanding, okay, we know this person wants a car, but what do they really want the car to be? And it's that kind of getting under the customer's skin that's, that's really effective for researchers and marketers. Yeah. Yeah. And and certainly when you look at the adverts, I mean, it is all all emotional stuff, isn't it? It's I mean, there's clearly a segment of the market that would want to know the how many litres the car was or what the torque ratio is or whatever else it is. And by me saying those things, you can probably tell I'm not one of those people. (laughs) I don't even Um, know what a torque ratio is. (laughs) (laughs) I think the example from the car industry is is a good one, too, because if you to this point of of number two, getting under people's skin in your research, if you went out and asked, so are you interested in a car that makes you look like James Bond? I assume that most people, even those who would very much be interested in that would say no, because that's kind of an embarrassing question to admit to. I would say yes, mate. Well, (laughs) that doesn't doesn't mitigate my point at all. That is an extremely (laughs) embarrassing thing to be on Colin's side of any issue. Some of these underlying motivations are not necessarily even accessible to customers themselves. And so we need to use some of these indirect methods or, or kind of dig a little bit deeper. So I, I think it's an interesting example. 
you've raised something really interesting there, Ryan, is all about sort of social pressures of certain areas that we research that can be more tricky than others. Yeah. An example would be asking someone's weight. Yep. And there is a pressure on you or even uh, not, you don't want to say that out loud, particularly environmental research or sustainability research. And when you're mm. researching things of price versus sustainability, publicly, respondents will say, oh, yes, sustainability is very important. But when the chips are down, price can often overtake sustainability and importance, for example. Can you not mention chips when you're talking about weight and stuff like that? <laughs> Well, I'll bear that in mind. That's one of the problems that we have in research is what people feel they should be saying versus what they really think. But obviously, there's ways around that. Anonymous surveys, for example, where you encourage people to be as honest and reassure them that it's anonymous is is a method that you can get around that. But I I thought that was really interesting, that whole idea of what we are willing to say publicly. But I can see Colin is willing to say that he does want to be James Bond. Yes. Definitely. Well, in fact, I am James Bond. Oh, yeah. I see. There you go. Yeah. You should see my you should see my car. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that old Aston Martin that you used to drive around. I guess one of the ways that you can check on whether the, what the customer saying it, thinking about it is, and they used to do this, don't they, Ryan, in some of the psychological tests of just asking the same question, but in a different way? Uh, yeah, that's a, a pretty common testing tool where you would you would have usually an index of several questions that kind of converge on something just to to uh, kind of reduce the risk that somebody might misinterpret one particular question or that they might overthink one particular question. So if you only ask it one way, sometimes there's that risk. Uh, again, everything is trade-offs. The trade-off is that you may now have a survey that's three times as long as it otherwise would need to be because you're asking the same question three different ways. But yeah, that that is a very common method, especially in academic research. Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. Okay, so let's move on to rule number three, which is cast your net wide. So Sam, I'm not sure if you can speak to this one, but so what do we mean by cast your net wide? So I think there are always some presumptions before you carry out research. And I think the first presumption, which I'm going to deal with, is doing research in the first place. I think often, and I've been guilty of this myself, I hasten to add, you want to act on your gut, you want to act on your opinion, you just want to check in with a couple of colleagues before you make a big decision. And you're actually keeping your net then really, really small about what you're understanding because you're making an assumption about what your customer base is. I'll tell you a quick example of of this, and this is actually me in my life. So I used to work with a financial institution And if I was around, they would invite me in to when they were selecting their new creative, which they were going to spend thousands and thousands of pounds on that would go out to million, a million reach of people. And so I would join and they'd sit and the creative agency would come in and they would say, oh, what do you like this one? I think it was 70s theme. Do you like this? It was adult drawing. And we went, oh, yeah, we like the 70s theme. Lovely. And that was the and that was the decision that was made. 
And when I look back, I think, well, how stupid were we? Because we were thinking about what we liked and not what the potential customer liked. So that was keeping our net really small. But then I think there's a sort of another level to it where you are making an assumption about who your customers are. So you think, well, I know my customers are this age, they live in this area, they have these interests, and so I'm only ever going to research amongst that group because I want to understand what they think. And of course, you're really limiting yourself there because you are making an assumption which could be wrong or you're not understanding how you could grow your business, how you could grow your brand by actually expanding your target consumer. So I think there's sort of two sort of nets there, a really small one and then quite a big one that really needs to be bigger. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Ryan, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I, it's it's absolutely true. Tying this back to point number one, there are different types of research methods that are good at kind of broadening things out and, and looking for insights. And then there are some that are good at going in depth or testing things against each other. So some of these these points that we're raising are connected to each other. I think the general advice of, of thinking broadly and, and giving yourself opportunities to be surprised and to learn new things is just good advice in general. I think it connects also with the types of methods they use. So some qualitative methods are very good at generating new insights and making you think about things differently. Whereas some survey methods are much better at kind of measuring minute changes and may not provide as easy a way for you to kind of really change your thinking about things. And what this is making me all think about is, I wonder how many organizations don't get professional help. In fact, I subscribed to a uh, food delivery service And they sent out a questionnaire the other week that was two 15-minute surveys, okay? And I wrote back to them saying, no one's ever going to complete this, basically. Mm -hmm. It's just far too long. What it made me think is they're just not getting any professional advice from, you know, somebody that actually knows about customer research. Yeah, if I could correct you, they they may be getting professional advice. They're not getting good professional advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good point. Well made. But building on your point as well, Sam, again, if I think back on my business life, people, organizations get obsessed by, and maybe this is the wrong way of saying this, but they get obsessed by their customers mm-hmm. rather than you obviously need to find, talk to your customers and survey your customers. But what about all the customers that have left you? What about the customers who have never been a customer? What's their perception? of you as well and what are your competition doing and when we when we do research for for clients it's just surprising how often the key reaction is to go to their customers rather than looking outside you know into those people that they've lost the people that have never been a customer or competition as well i think there's a presumption that it's it's so much easier to go to your own customer base and i can see why Brands think that because you would have your loyalty data, your email data, and so it'd be fairly easy to contact them and and understand. But really, sort of now, using tools like a test, you can get in touch with a much wider, you're not not constricted to your own customer base because there are ways to contact very easily potential customers, as you say, lost customers, rejectors of your category to find out why they're rejectors. So the picture that you can have of your customer base 
those that aren't necessarily signed up to your email or part of your loyalty scheme, as well as those that once were or could be, is much, much easier than it used to be. Yes. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. So let's move on to uh, four and five. And these two, I think, are really important. Sam, I'm going to ask you to lead on this next one. Uh, because that's sort of touching on what you were just talking about. And and rule number four is respecting the respondents. Yes, this is something I talk a lot about. And actually, it's quite interesting what Ryan said in the previous point about, well, you, you asked the same question in many ways, but of course, that then comes up again, making a survey or a questionnaire much longer. So the idea is that when we do our research, whether it's a, a focus group or an online survey, we are very much reliant on the quality of the respondents that we speak to. And if we think about it, I don't think any research respondent is ever going to be a millionaire (laughs) of being a research respondent. They're involved for many reasons. Yes, some are compensated financially, although not very much. Some are loyalty points, some just like giving their opinion. But ultimately, we need them more than they need us. And therefore, we have to make the research experience engaging, enjoyable, manageable, not confusing, so that they can give us good quality answers, which then turn into key takeouts and answers to our business questions. Because if that data is skewed, then it is it is it is not any use to us, no matter how much time we've spent putting into drafting our research and setting up our research. So really, the most important thing that you have to think about is keeping those respondents engaged. And that's far more difficult when you're doing quantitative research than it is core research. Because in a focus group, you can keep the energy up or a telephone conversation. But if you're sending a survey out, it's a one-way conversation. You're asking and you're hoping that what you're doing is interesting enough and clear enough that they will get a good quality answer. Sure. Yeah. And I guess the danger is, is if you're just bombarding respondents with questions all the time and they're they're pretty boring questions, they're just not going to get answered, are they? No, true. I signed up uh, to a, a competitor <laughs> to see what their online experience was like. And it was a kit. It was a survey about kitchen design. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, I'm quite interested in that. And oh, my goodness, about 50 questions later, I thought, no, I'm out. And I'm not even thinking about my answers anymore. I'm just saying anything to get to the end of the survey. And that is someone who was particularly interested in understanding how this is working. So you have to keep them short. You have to keep them varied. And you have to keep them clear. And sometimes we do make mistakes when we're drafting surveys. Perhaps the route isn't quite correct. And you cannot expect the respondent to work out what you mean. That's not their job. So there's all these things that we can do to improve the customer engagement, which will end up in good quality data. And I think that for me leads on to Probably in hindsight, we should have put this one perhaps number one, actually, rather than um, number five. But um, rule five is little and often rather than large scale studies. 
And I think that builds on the point you were just making, Sam. It annoys me intensely when you go into, when I go into a client and go, okay, well, you know, what do your customers think? And they say, well, we did this survey, you know, big survey seven years ago, (laughs) and this is what they're telling me. And you just think to yourself, that was seven years ago. You know, the world's moved in the last year, let alone than seven years ago. Yeah, I think often the world will have moved by the time the report's been completed. So I think, again, it's a very traditional view to have, you know, a big study that explores all avenues that turns up in a, a big glossy ring binder. I don't even think they exist anymore, but, you know, death by PowerPoint, <laughs> that kind of thing. But you're missing out on so much. And I think there's sort of two main things to focus on here is that a big report is not very digestible. It's very difficult and challenging to take away the main points from such a big study. And of course, you can engage someone to do it for you, but they might not be pulling the right point that you would if you had time to go through it. So it's the manageability thing. But the main point is keeping an ongoing conversation with your consumers. Things are changing all the time. Attitudes are changing all the time. We saw that in stark reality during the pandemic. Attitudes, behaviors to online shopping, for example, had to change. And that was all very clear to us. But actually, similar changes are happening all the time in different areas. I was trying to think of, uh, let's think, uh, non-gender specific makeup, for example, is is now appealing to men. And that's something that's changing over time and I think will explode very soon. And so health and beauty retailers have to keep a pulse on that and know uh, to match the demand from consumers. And I love the word pulse, actually, because that <laughs> it, it, it is about that, isn't it? It is a great word. And I, I love this, that we added this to the list. This is not one I would have thought of. And I, I think it's, you know, I think you're right, Colin, this might be the most important bit of advice when you're running research. I will concede there may be occasionally phenomena for which getting some huge snapshot of what things look like right now is really important. I think that's really rare. I think far, far more useful is for for you to be able to track how things are changing over time. And so therefore, taking a bunch of small snapshots and just kind of gathering little bits of data over time, and then you can start to see trends and patterns and and be much more up to date. Because, you know, as you say, Sam, it becomes much more digestible. You can kind of see where things are now and see how they've changed. That's going to be so much more useful for drawing insights. When we take these huge studies, then then yeah, the temptation is to overanalyze because you know that's the only data you're going to get for the next several years, as opposed to, yeah, let's take all this in stride and let's see where this is going and, and see if we can leverage it over the short term and then track those trends over longer periods of time. Absolutely. And I think that consumers also, even across a year, are affected by seasonable seasonal influences. Yeah, good point. And you want to make sure you understand how those are looking across the course of the year. A really good example is across the course of a financial year. And we had a customer who said, I, I, don't, I only want to run an annual brand tracker. Should I do it around April, around the end of the tax mm-hmm. year, when there's lots of talk around the financial world? Or, or should I do it sort of more in October and November when things are less noisy? Right. And of course, our answer was, well, you should do both because you need to understand where you're sitting when the market is noisy, but also where you're sitting when the market is quiet. 
because it might be that you do well in the noisy period, but less well in the quiet period. And it's going to be very important for you to understand both standpoints. Okay, yeah, no, no, point. absolutely. Yeah, totally, totally agree with you. I think it is a really important one. And particularly in the world, I don't know if I'm just showing my age now, but it just seems to change so rapidly with so many things happening. Unless you've got a pulse, I love that word, on what's mm-hmm. happening then and are doing all the other five things, then you're going to have a problem. So practical advice, what's the so what from these? Any thoughts, Ryan? What, what would you say are the, the so what's from these five rules for effective customer research? I think that if we were to kind of look for an underlying theme across these five, I would point to the motivations behind a lot of these, right? So we should go into any piece of research with goals in mind about what we want to get out of it. Like what, what are, not, not that we want the outcomes, not that we know the outcomes before we do it, but we should know what types of questions we're trying to answer. That'll determine how often we're going to run things. That'll determine what method we're going to use. That'll determine how deeply we need to get under a customer's skin to answer that kind of question. Go into it with a plan. Go into it knowing this is the question that we want answered or the questions we want answered. This is the strategic decisions we need to make afterwards. I think it'll make the whole process more efficient and more useful and ultimately more successful. So I use these five rules. I think they're very, very useful, but underlying all of those, know what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Sam, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'm going to echo that. I think there's a lot of information that can be gathered very quickly that can become overwhelming very quickly. So it's all about being focused. What do I need to know? And what's the best way for me to find that out? And then remembering it's not a once-only opportunity. And I think all of those things are good. And I think these five rules will will help everybody create some much more effective research and and. Again, I'm going to harp on about this last one, getting a pulse, doing it on a regular survey rather than once every seven years or three years or whatever it may be, is going to be really, really important. So Sam, thanks very much for coming on the show. I'm sorry that I we didn't run and I didn't argue like we would normally do. <laughs> There's always another time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I am planning on suing Colin shortly, though, and I, I assume <laughs> we can be back in touch. <laughs> excellent so sam well last thing uh, if people want to get hold of you then then how do they do that yeah i'm very happy for people to contact me through our website which is askatest.com askatest.com and obviously we'll put a link in the in the show notes as well so thanks very much everyone and we look forward to having you well talking to you next week thanks for having me cheers This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.